If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12. I'm very thankful to be here. This coming week, November 16th, 42 years ago, a young man named Bill Koss, working with the Navigator Ministry, came in a fraternity house called Sigma Chi at Purdue University and shared the gospel with a sinner named Bob Smart. And I was so mad at him because I thought, how could he say that all these students are not going to heaven, but going to hell. And I realized his, he really just shared the gospel, the Bible with me, and that my argument was really against God. I wanted to be saved. I prayed, oh God, if this is a cult, please save me. And then I realized, no, it was scripture. And I wanted to change. I repented of my sins and put my trust in Jesus Christ. And my life has never been the same. I was born from above. It's odd, the providence, that just recently I preached at a, the Navigators Georgia Tech ministry with the couple working there who trained Bill to share the gospel. And it seems things are kind of coming full circle for me. So it's a privilege to be here uh, with you all and with Bill Koss, who's present. This text I'm going to read is the bridge between John chapters 1 through 12, the I am's, the signs, and then chapters 13 through 21, the upper room, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This passage, uh, I'll be reading kind of a long portion. I don't usually read so long for a sermon, but verses 12 through 33, we'll look at it, the bridge. And in this, we see that all these people are being drawn to Jesus Christ. And I want to ask the text, what's so attractive about Jesus Christ? Why are they drawn to him? So let us, with that in mind, read verses 12 through 33. Just after Lazarus had been raised from the dead, now verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, that would be the Passover feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, quote, you see 
that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him." End quote. Now, among those who went up to the worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would give the Holy Spirit in our innermost being that we could comprehend, catalambano, grab hold of, realize the love of Christ in all its reaches and experience your fullness even today. For you can do far more than we imagine or think. To you be glory in Jesus' name, amen. Although Isaiah 53 prophesied that Jesus would not have a physical beauty, an outward beauty, that men would be drawn to him, Yet in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah has a vision of seeing the Lord on the throne, it is so overwhelmingly beautiful, that is the holiness of Christ or God, that even unfallen angels cover their eyes and cover their feet and can only say over and over, holy, holy, holy. They weren't overwhelmed with the wrath of God, for they were unfallen angels. Rather, 
The reason we cannot see Jesus Christ and live is because we can't handle the fullness of joy of seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 33, 17 says, Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. Outside our fraternity at Purdue was this Sigma Chi emblem and then the door. And before Bill Koss would leave after spending time with me, teaching me how to pray and read the Bible, he would say, let's do his word, last word. And I had to say my latest scripture memory, and he did too. And I remember he seemed to like Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He used to always say, all the days of my life, to meditate in his temple and to see and dwell on his beauty. To become a Christian is to become alive to the beauty of Jesus Christ, the ethical or the moral beauty, the excellencies of Christ. And what a privilege to have yourself adorned with the beauty or the likeness of Christ to have beautiful feet to take the gospel to the lost, to gaze upon with the eyes of our heart the face of the Lord and have the Holy Spirit transform you from one degree of glory to the next, to await the beatific vision of Revelation 22.4. And even now, those that hope in his second coming to see him, says John in 1 John 3, are being changed into his likeness, just with the hope of seeing his face. Of course, this is exactly what the father enjoys all the time, is gazing upon his son and loving and adoring him, and the son loving and adoring the Father and the Holy Spirit being the bond of love between the two. And if only we could see this beauty more clearly and keep our eyes on Christ, our faces would be radiant, as Psalm 34 says. I want to notice three things. I just observed three things in this passage. The first from verse 19, where the Pharisees say, look, the whole world is following him. And then you go down a bit further, verses 20 through 21, the Greeks are coming and saying, sir, we would see Jesus. And then at the end, he says, when the Son of Man is lifted up in verse 32, I will draw all people to myself. So I'm looking at, I'm thinking, this is the connection. This is what this bridge is about between 1 John, or I mean, sorry, John 1 to 12 and John 13 to 21. This section right here 
is about people being attracted to Jesus Christ. And so let's just take these three verses and ask ourselves about what is so attractive about Christ and in order that we might be transformed and be like him and draw others to Christ. The first being the king on a donkey, the second being a seed falling into the ground, and the third one lifted up, rejected, and all alone. The first then, the coming king on a donkey. In verses 12 through 19, we know it as Palm Sunday. What a playful surprise. What a stage-managed act of his dignity and humility. He deliberately changed the script. The disciples didn't understand what was going on. After this amazing miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, he, which one would have driven the Sadducees crazy because they denied the resurrection, so they're, they're upset. And now he unnerves the zealots because the zealots remember 35 years ago, let's overcome Rome and let's have, let's have this Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a big white horse. But Jesus takes Zechariah 9.9, fetches a donkey, and rides in the royal king on a donkey. And then the Pharisees, ready to murder him, say, look, we're accomplishing nothing. The whole world is running after him. Gentle, calm, courageous, he rides into the arena to crush Satan's head. Royal, order of Melchizedek, the line of David, the one to sit on the throne of David, 2 Samuel 7, to fulfill the covenant promise to David, humble on a donkey. No one is that attractive. No one can seem to bring together such majesty and such humility and combine them together. My dissertation, my PhD was on Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards on Revelation 5 says that when John was told to look at the lion of the tribe of Judah, he looked and saw the lamb slain on a throne. 
And Edward said, this is in Jesus Christ, a conjunction of such diverse excellencies, normally incompatible in the same person. Yet in Jesus Christ, we see glory and humility. Some of us are afraid to upset the Sadducees, influenced by the zealots. We see evil in culture, and we're like Gaston, ready to grab the torch and say, let's kill the beast. when the beast is actually the one that's going to turn into the king. We're like the Pharisees, who are so familiar with the Bible, but not gazing upon the beauty of Christ, maybe our own righteousness. And we become afraid to ride into our own workplaces and neighborhoods and give people a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus Christ and share the gospel. We're the aroma of Christ, always pleasing to the Father, but when we go out into the world, we either smell like life or stink like death, Either way, we have no control over that. We need to make up our mind. You cannot be broadly liked. You either be loved or hated. Contrast the humility of Christ with the arrogance of humanity. As John Stott said, it's the essence of sin in us substituting ourselves in the place of God. As that is true, so the essence of the humility of Christ is substituting himself in the place of sinners. The first picture is of a coming king on a donkey teaching us about the glory and the humility of Christ in one person. The second is the dying seed falling into the earth. Here we see the intentional loss of his life for eternal gain for others. In verses 20 through 26, we notice Greeks were at the Passover feast. Some say there were millions at this feast, many people. The Greeks must have seen Jesus whip out all the money changers out of the outer court that belonged to the Greeks so they could come into the temple and behold the wonders of God. And they must have been attracted to him that at least he was fighting for them. And Philip's name is Greek. And they came to Philip first and said, Sir, 
we would see Jesus. They didn't want just an interview with him. They wanted to be with him. They came to Philip, and Philip told Andrew, and you know what Andrew always does. He always brings everybody to Jesus. And the surprising thing here is that this is the cry of the marginalized. The marginalized are drawn to Jesus Christ. This is the cry of an awakened sinner under conviction of guilt. Sir, we would see Jesus. This is the cry of a new believer who's whose longings are like newborn babes. They cry, wah, wah, for the word of God. This is like an old believer imagining heaven and seeing Christ face to face. This is like a dying church dried up from lifeless, moralistic preaching. Sir we would see Jesus. A lot of times when I first became a Christian, they would have on the pulpit, sir, we would see Jesus. I remember studying revival and Sinclair Ferguson, I think it was, was telling the story of an account of revival and I believe it was Samuel Rutherford, and they said he wasn't a great preacher. He would go this way, and then he would go this way, and every once in a while he'd come back to focus on Christ, and when he focused on Christ, there was the power of the Holy Spirit's presence. And he said one time an elder from the back, when Rutherford landed on Christ, an elder from the back said, hold ye there, ye minister, you're all right there. Sir, we would see Jesus. And Jesus then says in verses 23, this is his response. Unless Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. As his creation speaks, so his redemption speaks. Each of us must intentionally suffer loss for others' gain. That's what's so attractive about Christ. On Tuesday evenings, Bill Koss would come to the fraternity house to take me to do evangelism to these 60 guys in the house. And I learned to share a three-minute testimony and share the bridge illustration. We'd take turns. He trained me Tuesday nights. You know what I did every Tuesday morning? I would pray. I got very religious on Tuesday mornings. I would be on my knees and I'd be praying, oh God, please make Bill Koss really sick tonight. 
And God never answered that prayer. Dying comes in different ways. When I asked my wife, I wanted to ask her parents first. We were going that weekend to her, see her parents. And first time I had been there, we were at Purdue University. And we were on Makeout Hill. Everyone else was making out. We were in this car. And I was trying to give her a hint. What would you think about the possibility of maybe the possibility of sometime maybe me possibly asking your father possibly someday about the possibility of maybe, you know, us getting married and so forth? And she didn't get it. <laughs> so I said again, finally she got it. You're asking me to marry you. And her jaw just was like this. And she said, well, can we pray? I mean, I pray about what I'm going to wear every day, yet let alone who I'm going to marry. Say, so, oh, yeah, let's pray. And so she prayed, and I prayed. And all I could see in my prayer is Christ on the cross and kind of a message to me saying, this is what it means to love Karen. So when we're done praying, she's all happy, and I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> Bob Smart fell into the ground and died that day, too. Died when I do evangelism. Died when I got married. Died 30 years in the cornfields of normal Illinois. Died... I resisted on missions. I've been to 38 nations, but I, I resisted until the Holy Spirit warmly melted my heart and I gave up excuses. Alistair Begg did our wedding. I remember going there with Karen and we were in a Sunday school and Elizabeth Elliot was speaking and her son, Jim Elliott, was the missionary in Ecuador. And she said, when the reporters of Time magazine came around and were taking photos of Jim and the men dead on the beach with spears in their backs, they were shaking their heads saying, what a shame. What a shame these young men came this far and just died for this cause. And Elizabeth Elliot said, no, my husband didn't die here. He died four years earlier on his dorm room floor. And each of us must fall into the ground and die to our selfishness if we're ever going to love well and be fruitful in somebody else's life. Have you intentionally fallen into the earth for others' eternal gain? Death comes before fruit, loss before gain, donkey before you ride a white horse, cross before crown. Why is he so attractive? 
Well, he combines majesty and humility like no one else ever will. And because he intentionally planted himself from heaven into this earth, willing to die so that Greeks and people from all over the world can come to heaven. The third text that talks about the attractiveness of Christ comes at the end in verses 27 through 33. In verse 23 says the hour had arrived and he had always been talking about the hour of his death. And John has no Gethsemane account here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have Gethsemane, but this is John's Gethsemane because here Christ says, my soul is troubled now. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He answers, but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then there's this voice. The Father says, I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. And the crowd thinks they heard thunder or an angel's voice. And Jesus says, this was all for you. And three times he says the word now in verses 27 and then verse 31. He says, now my soul is troubled. Now is the judgment of the world. Now Satan will be cast out. And then we read verse 32 through 33. And when I am lifted up from the earth, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this by saying what kind of death he would die. There's three powerful movements here. First, Satan is being cast out. He's going to be bound on the cross and cast out. The nations won't be deceived anymore. World evangelization will take place and is worldwide. Jesus will be lifted up. Satan will be cast out. Jesus will be lifted up. And all people will be drawn to him. Three movements. Out and up and to him. And at this very time, it's the Passover feast, the very time he's lifted up, the Paschal lamb is slaughtered. And ever since, all people have been drawn to Jesus Christ. I've officiated a lot of weddings. And you know, sometimes couples say, Pastor Bob married us. And that always sounds weird. Sounds like I married into the couple's life. And I know they mean I officiated the wedding. And I've officiated a lot of weddings, and I've never seen a bride or a bridegroom stare at themselves after they look at the mirror for hours, like the bride, bride's in front of the mirror and they do all this stuff, and the grooms do less of it, but 
then finally the wedding comes and you know the bride never looks at her gown again. She's gazing at the groom. She forgets all about herself. And it's at that moment when she's looking at the groom and walking down that she is the most beautiful and attractive. Young man came to, his mom prayed for him, go to church, and it was snowing out. It's in England and London, and he finally goes. He didn't go to the church he was supposed to go to. He took a side road. It's snowing. He goes to the small church. He's kind of under the balcony, the gallery, not very crowded. The preacher didn't even show up, and an elder came and took as his text Isaiah. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. His three points, look, point number two, unto me, and point number three, be saved. And he went on for a half hour, look, <laughs> unto me, and be saved, and finally, he looked at that depressed young teenager under the gallery and said, young man, you haven't looked. Look. And young Charles Haddon Spurgeon looked and went home and said, I did look. He was jumping in the snow, born again, was saved. For every one look at yourself, says McChain, look ten times at Christ. He doesn't, Christ doesn't look all that attractive when his followers are looking at themselves or their circumstance. They're all distressed looking at the circumstance. They're all depressed looking at themselves. They're not at rest looking at Christ. Satan's been cast out. Jesus has been lifted up. All peoples are being drawn to him. Get your focus on him, off your circumstances, off yourself, and you'll find rest. And this is what Corey Ten Boom said. Look around and be de de distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look at him and find rest. Look at him. Just like the snake, says John, in the wilderness lifted up on the pole, all they had to do was look. Some of you, have you looked at Jesus Christ crucified for you? Have you looked and been saved? Have you believed on him? Last week, or two, two weeks ago, well, we have this older woman in our church, and she has real black eyebrows and real gray hair, and she's not very wealthy. She lives in a trailer park. 
She loves the Lord. I love her, Rita. And she came in about a month or two ago, and she has this young single mom with her, and this young single mom has tattoos everywhere and came kind of dressed up for church. She's nervous, and she had a Bible. I knew it was a Bible we use in evangelism, so I knew she was reading this and came with Rita. This woman named Cece has not missed one worship, one foundation hour. She is drinking it all in. I've been praying for her. And right before church, about two Sundays ago, she said, it was kind of milling, people milling around, and I walked down the aisle before the service, and she said, Pastor, what do you mean born again? I said, well, let's meet after church. We'll just talk in the front row. And it was the most beautiful conversion as she wept and repented of her sins. And she's been growing. I gave her to an older woman to follow up. She didn't know anything about the Bible. Her mom and her sister were a witch. She had her throw out this box she had. And she was drawn to Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's, I'm not a pastor. How am I supposed to get involved in this? Look at Christ. When he's lifted up, he will draw all people to himself, all kinds of people. One time we had this couple whose daughter did ballet with our daughter. We, we went to the school. They looked so successful. They were in the country club at Bloomington. Like We thought we could never be friends with them. And they just seemed like they had it all together. And about maybe 10 years later, one day, our phone rings. Back then, we had a landline. We said hello. And at our home, we always say, everyone be quiet. Hello? And uh, hello? And, and it's this friend, Rick. And I said, Rick? He said, yeah. He said, can, can, I, can we come over? We've always been drawn to you about God, and we want to get right with him. We didn't do anything. I mean, if anything, we did, we were poor examples in some way. And it was like apples just falling off the tree, ready to be picked. I shared the gospel with him. He came to faith in Christ, repented, and about a year later, surprise, surprise, he had cancer. He decided to witness to everybody he could in one year. His funeral was jam-packed at our church, and many people heard about Christ because Christ was drawing Rick to himself. It's a universal appeal. It says in verse 32, when it's lifted up on the cross from the earth, 
a universal appeal. It's all ethnicities, peoples, Jews, Gentiles. Jesus wasn't a, a white man from Europe. He was Palestinian at the middle of three continents, Europe and Africa and Asia. And Revelation 5 says every tongue and tribe and nation will be there to behold his beauty. Is there anyone here who's felt despised because of your ethnicity? All kinds of people will be there, not just all people. Mary and Martha against cultural expectations. One had seven demons delivered out of her. The woman of Sychar at the well, who are you to ask me for a drink? How in the world would you, a Jew, ask a Gentile woman from Samaria, considered immoral? Households of the Jews prayed during this time, thanks be to God who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. I wonder if anyone here today has been counted unworthy because you were a woman. All ages, not only for old people, he comforted the old not only little children can come, he blessed little children when everyone said, get out of here. He brought them in and said, you must be like one of these. He's no respecter of age. Is there someone here who's felt disregarded because of your age? All social classes, the middle class captivity of the church isn't really the whole church. He hung with sinners, the marginalized, tax collectors, prostitutes, the poor, but also Pharisees like Nicodemus helps him his body off the cross with Joseph and put him in a tomb. He hung with thieves on the cross. All social classes. A Norwegian woman suddenly disrupted a service in Norway in a beautiful cathedral right before the bishop was going to give the benediction after a weighty service. And she thrust the doors open with a bang and walked down the center of the aisle. No one tried to stop her. She was a bit disheveled, a woman in her 30s. She was shouting in Norwegian that she had heard the bishop's welcome at the beginning of the service, that all were welcomed. And she wondered if she would be welcomed because she was a prostitute and she had an illegitimate child. She was using drugs often and she wondered would the bishop welcome her? And she made a beeline for the bishop with her arms outstretched and looking with anguish on her face, 
And the bishop smiled at her and wasn't afraid, and she flung herself in front of everyone into his arms, hugging him and weeping. And he told her she was welcome because she felt that inward drawing to Jesus Christ. We in the United States, some say if the Holy Spirit left, most of us wouldn't even know it. We've been taught humanism that we can do it. Francis Schaeffer says the humanist has both feet firmly planted in midair. I was doing evangelism in New York City and was loud and lots of lots of people and I wanted to get away. I snuck into St. Patrick's Cathedral. It was quiet. I sat in the back. And when I left and was walking out, I walked out the front door and if you, if you look across St. Patrick's, you see the um, actually forget the name of the building, but there's a big Atlas. Atlas is there with, it's a World Trade Center, and this big globe on his shoulders, Atlas, all these muscles. And I turned around, looked the other way, and there's another man, weak, bleeding on a cross, with the world of sin on his shoulders. And in weakness, he saved the world. He redeemed creation and all the elect and crushed Satan's head. And each of us have got to ask the question, are we looking to humanity saying that we're basically good and we could do this, we got this? Or are we going to look at the other man in weakness on the cross and identify with him? The most beautiful royal, humble, the promised seed from Genesis 3.15 that fell into the ground and died. All alone, lifted up, he draws all people to himself. Lord Jesus, we long to see you we pray we wouldn't sabotage, repackage, or squander this longing in some weird way in the United States, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, by your great mercy and steadfast love, show us 
your unsearchable riches of your grace and free us to come alive and live and look at you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.